one of the pastors on the team here at Callwood Church, and I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning. And it's also great to be back home. We were actually, my wife, my son, and I were actually in Edmonton this past week visiting some friends of ours, and uh, they just had a little baby, and so we got to meet this new little guy. Uh, But we also got to be there for another reason, too. We got to help throw a birthday party for their daughter who hadn't had one during COVID. And so we got to throw this beautiful ballerina princess birthday party with uh, with our friends in Edmonton. I was right in my element, I'll tell you. (laughs) And if you don't believe me, here's, here's a picture proof. What princess party is not complete without a dragon to chase the princesses and ballerinas all around. And I mainly just showed that picture so Pastor James would have even more pictures of me that look ridiculous because he's already got a folder full of them. (laughs) But we had such a great time with our friends in Edmonton. They were so hospitable and we had an amazing time at their home. And then on the the last day that we were there, our son Bo comes up to us and he was feeling a little homesick and he said, I want to go to Bowie's house. It was great to be with our friends and we had such an amazing time, but I think I'm with Dorothy from Kansas when I say there's no place like home. That feeling of sleeping in your own bed, that feeling of opening a cabinet and knowing what is going to be inside, being able to drive your car without using maps or Google Maps, you can decide which one is better, one of them will get you lost. (laughs) Real story, anyway, that's too long. There's something about being home that just brings a peace to it. And maybe that's why this, this feeling of longing for home is not just something for when we're on vacation, but it's actually a more broad, a more universal feeling than that. In his book, Longing for Home, Frederick Buchner explores the theme of yearning for a deeper sense of home and belonging. Buchner dives into the human experience of longing for a place or a state of being that provides a true sense of fulfillment and peace. And these words come from his book. The word longing comes from the same root word as the word long, in the sense of length in either time or space, and also in the word belong, so that in its rich, full richness, to long suggests to yearn for a long time, for something that is a long way away, or a long way off, and something that we feel we belong to and that belongs to us. The longing for home is so universal a form of longing that there is even a special word for it, which is, of course, homesickness. There's this universal human experience that we can all long for at times, for that everything to be put back together, everything in its right place and at peace. And if you've been following with us in our Bible reading plan, as Pastor James mentioned a few minutes ago, we are starting journeying through the first five books of the Bible. And we just started this week with Genesis. And in the very beginning of creation, we see this place, Eden, where everything is right, everything is at peace. God is in the garden with people and he has created everything and he says that it is good. Everything is the way it is meant to be and intended to be. But if you keep reading, you find out in Genesis chapter 3 that everything kind of goes off the rails. And ever since that point, there has been this longing for what was once there, what was lost, to be found again. A longing for a time of no more hatred or war or famine. 
a time where there is no more corruption and greed, a time where there won't be people being exploited or dehumanized. We are longing for a day when these things will not be present. And in the meantime, we are longing for something or someone to help us make sense of all the darkness that we often find surrounding us. I don't think I have to work too hard to convince you that there's still darkness in this world. If you don't believe me, just flip on the news. Darkness is out there. But if we're being really honest today, it's not just a problem that is out there, but it's also a problem that's in here. It's a problem that's in each one of us. Here's a, if you hear that and you go, no, there's no darkness in me, here's a real quick just test for you. Would you like every one of your thoughts to be broadcast to everyone else at all times? That's a definitely not for me. Darkness is a problem that is out there, but it's also something that we experience that runs right down the center of our own hearts as well. It's both around us and in us, and we experience this longing for a light to lead us home. And in the midst of experiencing this longing, I want us to reflect on these words from Jesus today. He says this in John 8, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the second I am statement of seven that we find in John's gospel. And if you weren't with us last week when Pastor Sean did a great job of opening up our series on the I am's of Jesus, you might not know why Jesus saying the phrase I am is so significant. And so really quickly in Exodus chapter three, Moses is walking along and he encounters this burning bush that doesn't burn up. And so he goes to check it out. And it turns out that this bush starts talking back to him. Could you imagine that for a second? You're walking along the Galloping Goose Trail and a bush is on fire and it starts talking to you. Would that not be a troubling experience? And this bush actually we find out is the personal presence of God speaking to Moses. And he has a task for Moses to actually go to Egypt and to take to, to take words to the Pharaoh of Egypt, asking them to be freed, the people of Israel to be freed from slavery in Egypt. And, and Moses is unsure of this. He's like, I don't know if I want to do this. What do I say to the people of Israel? What am I going to say to them? Who are you even? And God says these words to Moses. I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. The God who is and always has been, the eternal one, that is who God's character is, that he reveals himself to Moses. I am that I am, or I am who I am. And so when Jesus uses these I am statements, he is evoking the same language as that encounter with Moses at the bush and alluding to the fact that he is the same God, but with flesh on now. Each one of these I am statements helps us better understand more of who God's character is. And Jesus puts so many amazing metaphors together in these seven I am statements that help us to understand God more clearly. So today we're going to look at Jesus's words, I am the light of the world. And this is a beautiful metaphor that is steeped in the history of Israel, but they are also very charged words. If you continue to read in John chapter 8, we come to verse 20, and we can sometimes just glaze over these words, but here's what John 8 verses 20 says. Jesus spoke these words by the treasury while he was teaching in the temple. 
but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. John feels that it's important to actually add this note that no one tried to seize him or hurt him, is another way you could put this, while he's speaking these words. Why is that important? Why does John feel like he needs to note that no one tried to seize him while he was speaking these words? It's the kind of line you can just go over and miss the first time. But why was Jesus calling himself the light of the world so charged? Well, Jesus is speaking these words in a pre-electricity world. So for his audience, when they thought of the concept of light, they thought of fire. If it was dark and you wanted to see, you would light a candle or you would light a fire for light. And this theme of fire and light plays a central role in the history of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus, as we have already talked about, this bush that was on fire signifies God's presence and speaks the name of God, I am who I am, to Moses. But if you flip a few, a few pages further on in Exodus, we see that Moses has done what God asked him to do. He went back to the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. Pharaoh was a bit stubborn, and so it took 10 plagues to convince him. But finally, he lets the people go. And as they leave Egypt, the people of God are led by a cloud during the day, which turns into a pillar of fire at night. This pillar of fire led the people of Israel. It gave them light, and it also protected them from their enemies on the journey. I love what Pastor James just encouraged us with a few moments ago. When Jesus calls the people out of slavery, he does not leave them alone to kind of go figure it out on their own. He actually goes before them and is present with them. And today we have that same presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. In Exodus 13, it said this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Remember just a minute ago, we started by talking about looking for a light to lead us home. And that is exactly who God is for Israel in the desert. They are wandering nomads for over 40 years as they left captivity. And God is the light that leads them and guides them. When the light moved, Israel moved. When the cloud moved, Israel followed. And because of this, the people of God yearly had a festival where they celebrated and remembered God's provision and his leading them in the desert called the Feast of Tabernacles. In the wilderness, the people had no homes, no food, no crops, nothing but what God provided to them. And so every year at harvest for seven days, the people of Israel would celebrate this feast of tabernacles to commemorate and celebrate the amazing ways that God provided for them. And there was many elements to this celebration, but one of the main pieces was that every night they would light an enormous candelabra in the temple. This had a huge number of lamps on it, and scholars say that when the lamps were lit, it was so bright that it flooded the whole city. Here's kind of a picture of what it could look like. It flooded the entire city with light. And every year the people would stop and at, the, at the, each night of the festival and light these lamps to celebrate that God gave them light in the wilderness. And we read in chapter 7 that it was this encounter where Jesus says he is on the light of the world was on the last day of the feast. Jesus is at the temple at the treasury where the light of the candelabra would be lit. And on the previous sixth night, it was lit up and it illuminated the whole city. But on the seventh night, you wouldn't light it. 
And here is where Jesus stops and takes this tangible example. This light that you are lighting to remember how God led you through the desert, to remember God's personal presence, what you are celebrating and still hoping for, the presence of God to lead you is here right now. I am the light of the world. I am that same God that led you through the wilderness and if you follow me, I will lead you to life right now. Just like you followed that pillar of fire in the desert, if you follow me, you will find life. And Jesus stands before that candelabra that celebrated and remembered God's presence and says that that presence is here once again. He is the light of the world. That is why what Jesus said was so charged. He was saying that just like God led them through the wilderness as light, he is now that light to lead the people. Jesus is saying what the author of Hebrews says, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God is fully, Jesus is fully who God is and he has come to be present among the people. What a charged claim, especially to be making in that space. And if we're being honest, this claim that Jesus is the light of the world, a light that leads out of darkness a light that leads to life, was not just a charged claim back in the first century, but it is still a charged claim today. Here's what I mean by that. In Jesus saying he is the light of the world, he does not say, I am a light in the world. But he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is not just a light, he is the light of the world. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus teaches on pretty, every, pretty much every area of our lives, from our finances, to our sexuality, to our relationships, to forgiveness, to lust, to greed, to envy, to every area of our lives, Jesus has something to say about. And he is saying here that his life and his words are not just good ideas, but they are actually the light that leads out of darkness. They are the light of the world. Now you may hear that and say, wait a minute, are you saying that all other paths are wrong? That is so exclusive. Are you saying no other path can actually point me to who God is? And you're right. It is an exclusive thing to say that Jesus is the true light of the world. He is saying that he is the only way for you to fully know who God really is. Here's the way Pastor Tim Keller summed it up. Here's what Jesus is saying. He is not saying that no other prophets, no other faiths, no other philosophy, or nobody else knows anything about God. He's not saying that, but he is saying, they are moons and I am the sun. They reflect my glory, but I am the glory. Of course, you can see a lot in the moonlight, but you can get around in the moonlight, but nothing like what you can see in the sunlight. He's not saying that other worldviews and other Faiths and other philosophies don't have anything good in them, but what he is saying is that they are all good things. All the good parts of those are ultimately pointing to Jesus, who is the light of the world. While there are many things that we can see by moonlight, they are just reflecting the light of the sun. Jesus is the true light. He's the true glory and light of God. And to be fair, that is a radically exclusive claim. But what I want us to see today is that while this is exclusive, it is also a radically inclusive claim as well. 
Yes, Jesus is the light of the world, but it is a light not just for some, but for the whole world. The Greek word that he uses here for world includes actually the whole cosmos. It is everything. And it is a light that is available to everyone, not just an exclusive group of people. If you walk in here today and you say, I don't have my life together. I'm not a morally upright person. I've made so many mistakes. Well, guess what? This light is still available to you. It's not just for the people who have their lives together. It's not just for the rich or the powerful. It is not for the religious in crowd. It is a light that is available to the whole world. This exclusive claim that Jesus is the one that can show you what God is really like is also a radically inclusive invitation that is open to everyone on the face of this world. And Jesus, as he continues to teach in John 8, we see an incredible promise to those who will follow this light. In John 8, 31 to 32, he says this, Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's saying here, if you don't believe that I am the light that actually leads to life, you will continue on in darkness and you're not moving towards true life. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Was it followed by someone saying something that was really mean to you? (laughs) I'm just saying the truth. The truth will set you free. Someone this week told me I needed a haircut because my hair was getting too long and I didn't get one yet, so it hasn't set me free. I don't know what you think about when you think about the truth will set you free, but my mind goes to Jack Nicholson in the courtroom where he's, you can't handle the truth. I don't know if you caught this, though, but the truth will set you free is not the whole picture. Most of us skip over the line that comes right before it. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is not just about knowing the truth. It is about continuing in Jesus' words. Meno is the Greek word that is translated continue here, and it literally means to dwell in, which is why one translator put it this way, to make your home in. This is such a beautiful invitation to this home of Jesus' words, to live as that being our home, Now, this is kind of an abstract concept, living in Jesus' word. What does that practically look like? Well, really tangibly, it looks like choosing to hold on to and to live out what Jesus says about life and reality. Choosing to trust and obey his teachings. Choosing to follow his example and his way of life. It is making Jesus' word central to how you live your life. Not just a good idea, not just a side guide for you, but actually central to how you live your life. If you abide in or make your home in his words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. New Testament scholar Dale Brunner sums it up this way. It is in short a decision to make Jesus' word the major fact in one's week, life, and home. Making Jesus' word the major fact in one's week, life, and home. 
How many people in the room today have ever moved into a new home before? The first few nights in that new home, aren't they disorienting? You maybe are trying to find where everything is. You get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you stub your toe on the bed because it's not where it used to be in your old home. When we move to a new home or a new dwelling and things are not where we are used to, it is disorienting and it is uncomfortable. And I'll be honest, the same can be true for when we make our new residence Jesus' words, making them central to our lives. It can feel uncomfortable to leave behind the old way of doing things. We know how to get by comfortably. We know where everything is. We know where that pile of laundry is that we can just step around. We get by because we become comfortable with it. And to step into Jesus' invitation to make our lives home in his word and in his teaching is difficult and uncomfortable at first. But this is the question that I felt like Jesus was asking me, and I think he's asking us too this morning. Do you trust Jesus enough to continue following him? To make your home in his words? To not just have them as one voice of many, but to make them central to your life? Do you trust Jesus enough to make them your, his words your home, even when it doesn't make sense? Even when everyone else around you goes a different direction, even when your friends, family members, or people online put you on blast and label you as ignorant or hateful or backward or whatever else they may call you, even when that diagnosis kicks you in the gut and you don't know if it's worth following Jesus anymore, even when it would be easier to follow something else or to go a different direction, will you continue and will you make your home in Jesus' word? At this moment in the message, I just really sensed as I was preparing to offer a pastoral word of encouragement to us. And it's very simple, but it's this. Don't let go. I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know what brings you in here and what you've been through this week, but I just sensed that I was supposed to share this word for our church. Don't let go of Jesus. Jesus' words will lead you to truth, and that truth will set you free. Don't let go when a voice tells you there is an easier way. Don't let go when a voice tells you to look around and see how everyone else has it good, and you are struggling and suffering. Don't let go when others mock you and belittle your faith in Jesus. Hang on to Jesus and don't let go. And if you walk away with only one thing from this message this morning, I pray it is this, don't let go. Jesus is the light of the world, and in him you will find truth and freedom, so please don't let go. And if you hold on, even when it doesn't make sense, it will lead to life and freedom. And I love how Jesus illustrates this perfectly in what follows in John's gospel. In John chapter 9, Jesus, starting in verse 1, he was walking, passing by, and he saw a blind man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Which, as a quick pause and an aside, let's be careful before we jump to conclusions about why people are in difficult situations. But back to the text. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. 
We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He repeats it once again. I am the light of the world. And after he said these things, he spit in the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. And he told, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the blind man left, washed, and came back seeing. He answered the religious authorities who were questioning him. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash so that he, when I went and washed, I received my sight. All that this blind man had known his entire life was darkness. But the light of the world had a different plan for him. He bent down and he used his spit to make mud, which, two things about this. First, gross. This is a pretty good contender for Jesus' grossest miracle. And number two, why did Jesus choose to heal the man in this way? Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus heal people in a whole host of different ways. He touches them and they are healed. He speaks a word to someone who's not even present and they are made whole and healed. Why does Jesus choose to use mud here and to then ask the man to get up and walk with mud on his eyes and then go wash in a pool. I think at least part of the reason why this man was healed this way is that it perfectly illustrates what Jesus taught a moment ago. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus could have healed that man instantly in that moment, but he doesn't choose to do that in this specific instance. The man instead was healed while he followed Jesus' words. He had to get up while he still couldn't see with mud on his eyes and trust that Jesus' words were true and they would lead to life. There was no sign that he was healed immediately. He had to start the journey and continue the journey trusting Jesus' words. And the same is true for us today. If we want to see healing and freedom and the life that God desires for us, we have to trust Jesus' words on the journey. And the irony and the tragedy of this story is that the one who could not see was given sight, while those who thought they could see were actually blind. The man who is blind goes to the temple authorities and he reports what happened and the religious leaders of his day do not receive it. They are looking a miracle in the face yet they still reject Jesus. The blind man tries to share the good news with them and he is thrown out of the temple. The man who was in darkness can now see the light, but those who thought that they could see stay in the darkness. What a tragedy. And as I was reflecting on this passage this week, I just really simply asked myself the question, do I do this? Are there areas of my life that I think I know better than following Jesus in his light? Are there areas of my life where I sense that Jesus is actually inviting me to step into the light, but instead I'm more comfortable staying in the darkness? Are there specific words or teachings of Jesus that I struggle with making central to my life? 
And for all of us, just so that we're clear, the answer is yes to that question. And if you don't struggle with any of the teachings of Jesus, I encourage you, just go home and read the Sermon on the Mount today. Matthew 5 to 7. Start with loving your enemies. There you go. Jesus' light, his way, his teachings, and his life, if we follow them, we will see life and life to the full. But if our trust is placed somewhere else, while we may think we are enlightened and able to see, we are actually walking in darkness, Jesus says. And this leads us back to where we started today. We are all looking for a light to lead us home. And today, Jesus is saying to us, I am that light. I am the light of the world. That pillar that led Israel in the desert, that pillar of fire that when Israel followed it, when it moved, Jesus is saying to us today, when I move, will you follow me? Will you walk in step with Jesus? Will you make your home in his words? And when his light points you in a direction, will you take steps to follow it? Because it is in making our home in his words that we find truth and find what we have been longing for, freedom and life to the full. Jesus is the light of the world, church. And he's inviting all of us to step into following that light today. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? As I was thinking about how to wrap up this message today, I just felt like we needed to just pause for a moment and ask the Spirit to speak to us. And so I just pray, come Holy Spirit right now. Be present in our midst. I just really want to simply ask a couple questions for you to reflect on and for God to speak to you about. Lord, is there any area in my life that needs your light to shine on it? Lord, is there any part of me that is more comfortable staying in the dark when you are inviting me to step into the light? And if God has been speaking to you and inviting you to step into the light in a specific area of your life with every eye closed. I'm going to invite you in a moment just to raise your hand so I can pray for you. There's nothing magical about raising your hand. We just believe in a fully embodied faith with what's going on interior can be an exterior sign. So if there's something that's going on in your life, I'd invite you to just raise your hand right now and I would love to pray for you. Thank you for your honesty. God, you see my friends in this room today. My 
friends in this room who are reaching out to you saying, I don't want to be in the dark anymore in this area. And God, I believe that you are meeting them right where they are at right now. I pray that they would know you as the light of the world, the light that leads to life. And God, where the enemy has spoken lies, saying that it is easier to stay in the dark, it is easier to continue with where they're at, I pray that your truth would break through right now. Say that they are designed for more than just getting by, but they are designed for freedom and life to the full. And I pray for breakthrough for my friends in this room today, that as they bring things out of the darkness and into the light, that you would meet them there and bring healing and hope and wholeness to their story today, Jesus. I pray that you would give them wisdom for what this next step is after this, what it looks like to continue on in following you, Jesus. Give them wisdom for who they need to bring alongside of them. If there's a friend that they need to confess to, if there's someone who they need with them on this journey, I pray you would give them wisdom today, Lord. God, you are the light of the world. We believe that today. And so forgive us when we have hung on to darkness instead of choosing to allow the light into our lives. So God, you are so good and you are so gracious to us and we are grateful that your light is available to all of us. And so today, Lord, help us. Help us to take steps into that light. Maybe today you're in the room and you have heard this message for the first time about Jesus being the light and you've been looking for someone to guide you and to lead you been looking for someone to point you to the life that you were hoping for, the freedom that you were hoping for. And if this is the day where you say, yes, I want to put my trust in Jesus as that light, I invite you to just put up your hand right now. I'd love to pray for you as well. If there's anyone in the room today, I'd love to pray for you. Thanks for your honesty. And Lord, I just pray for my friends in the room who are maybe new to this whole faith journey and they're hearing about you being the light of the world today. I pray that that light would shine brightly into their hearts in this moment, that they would see and know and that the eyes of their heart would be opened up. Just like Jesus, you took the blinders off of that man and gave him light to see. I pray that today you would give my friends who are taking that step light to see as well. As they put their hope and their trust in you today, Jesus, I pray that they would see and know you as the one who leads them to truth and freedom and life. Thank you, God, for your incredible love for us. And thank you for this day, Jesus, reminding us that you are the light of the world. Help us as we go out from this room today to make your way, your teaching, your word central to how we live our lives. Help us to make our home in it. In your name we pray all these things, Jesus, amen. Thanks, church, so much for being here with us today. And uh, if you are brand new to faith today, we'd encourage you, text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113, and that'll get you in touch with one of our pastors who would love to continue this journey with you and answer any questions you may have about Jesus and following him. If you are staying for our first steps lunch today, it's going to be over in the multi-purpose room. That's just through these doors and there's a set of stairs over on the other side. Uh, just wait a few minutes because the kids got to get dismissed. And so once the kids are, get, are dismissed, we'll, we'll start our first steps lunch over there. We well, love you church and uh, go out today in the light of the world leading you. Amen.